This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language, mature themes, and negative cultural values, including internalized shame and kinkphobia. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 340. Hello, Metamorphs! Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. Each week, I bring you a piece of my fresh new fiction and tell you what's new with my life and my writing. So let's get right to it. Here is this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 5 of Honor Tested by L.C. Williams. If you're new to the show, don't start here. Go back to episode 336 to hear this story from the beginning. I'm rebuilding my buffer after a couple of weeks off, so no story recap this week. Here is Chapter 5. Honor Tested The House of Bellevue Book 2 by L.C. Williams Narrated by Vivian Ferrari Chapter 5 Dreams and Secrets Wednesday, April 4th Honor awoke with a start as powerful arms wrapped around her with sudden and painful force. Behind her, Natasha trembled like she was having a seizure. She sucked in air in short, hissing gasps, exhaled in half-enunciated words and phrases. Her forehead pressed hard against the back of Honor's skull, smashing Honor's face against her pillow. Ow! Honor exclaimed. Natasha, let go! The next words Natasha spoke were more intelligible, though still slurred and laced with panic. Stay down, John. Who is John? Honor demanded, then felt like a fool, as the fog cleared from her brain and she realized what must be happening. Natasha, wake up! You're dreaming! They have us pinned down, Natasha hissed. Airships aren't coming. She switched to Vieshin then, or so Honor supposed, from the sudden flood of incomprehensible syllables that tumbled past her lips. Honor tried to wriggle free, or even to twist around to face Natasha, but it was useless. Natasha, she said again, making her voice gentler but no less urgent. I'm not John. I'm Honor. You aren't in her vein anymore. Come back to me. One of Natasha's arms was wrapped around her chest. She bent her head down and kissed the only patch of skin she could reach. It's all right, Natasha. Come back home. Natasha's chest spasmed, and she drew in a long, deep breath. Her body grew still. Her grip on Honor eased, just a little. Honor kissed her arm again, 
reached up and stroked it with gentle fingers. It's all right, she said, soft and soothing now. You're all right. You're safe. Slowly, Natasha let out the breath she'd been holding. Please, she muttered. I am sorry, little one. It's all right, Honor said again, still stroking her arm. You had a nightmare, that's all. It happens. Duh, Natasha said wearily. Much too often. Honor turned around to face her, slipping one arm under Natasha's pillow and the other over her side. She ran her palm gently up and down Natasha's back. The bare skin was slick with cold sweat. That dream, she said. It was something that really happened. Natasha grimaced. Not exactly, she said. We were at front for years. Many bad things happened there. In the dreams, these things are mixed together. Sometimes with things that did not happen. Sometimes with things that happened back home, in Vyashrad. Honor nodded sympathetically. Who is John? An old pain flitted across Natasha's face. Private John Standish, youngest soldier in my squad. A hint of a smile touched her lips, though not her eyes. Little brown-haired man with freckles. Not much bigger than you. He joined army as volunteer, like I did. Not drafted. He believed in cause. Wanted to be hero, I think. But he was good friend. Honor took note of the past tense. He didn't make it home, did he? Natasha's expression grew distant. No, she said, and did not elaborate. Honor shifted toward her, kissed the side of her jaw. If you ever want to talk about it, I'm happy to listen. Natasha refocused on her face, reached up and stroked her hair. Maybe, someday. For now, it is enough to have you here. She drew Honor's face toward hers, kissed her. Honor returned it fervently, ran her hands up and down the muscles of Natasha's back. She could feel the fire stirring up inside her again, a hunger demanding to be fed. Natasha sent a hand snaking down between her legs, cupping her sex. Honor moaned against her mouth. We were supposed to be slowing down, she thought, with a dizzy mixture of excitement and dismay. She didn't want to slow down. She wanted to take everything this woman would give her, pain or pleasure or both at once. She wanted to be Natasha's little one, her pet, her plaything, her... Good morning, milady, Mabel's voice chirruped as she swung open the door to Honor's chambers. Honor froze. Natasha froze. Mabel was perhaps fifteen feet away, in Honor's sitting room. Light filled the chambers as she began blithely opening the curtains, the same way she did every morning. Honor and Natasha broke their kiss, stared at each other in an instant of silent horror. Then they quickly rolled away from each other, toward opposite sides of the bed, and tucked the blankets up around their necks. 
Anna wrapped her arms around a pillow and tried to think innocent thoughts, all while her arousal burned like a furnace between her legs. Mabel ambled into the bedroom a few seconds later, still opening curtains and humming brightly to herself. She tossed a smile over her shoulder at Honor, then raised her eyebrows slightly as she saw the back of Natasha's head. Oh, good morning, Miss Volkova. I was wondering where you'd got to when I saw your bed was made up. You girls decided to have a bit of a sleepover then, did you? Natasha did not respond to this sally, so Honor, struck with a sudden inspiration, answered on her behalf. Miss Volkova has been having some bad dreams, Mabel. We have found that they trouble her less if she does not sleep alone. I believe you can expect us to be sharing one bed or the other for the foreseeable future. Mabel clucked her tongue. Oh, bless you, my lady, that's very kind of you. The poor dear. If you like, I can make up a part of my mother's sleeping tea tonight. It's just the thing for banishing bad dreams. Honor felt Natasha roll over beside her. Her voice came out low and dry. They also had this tea in Songfield, I think. It's made from the poppy, huh? Mabel looked scandalized. Goodness, no, miss. It's just herbs is all. Chamomile and spearmint and lavender. Poppy. As if me poor mother were a bleeding opium fiend. Gods and saints preserve me. Honor, carefully, did not laugh. I am quite sure Miss Volkova meant no offense, Mabel. I did not, Natasha said, with appropriate sobriety in her voice. Thank you, Miss Mabel. This tea sounds very... She seemed to search for the right word. Relaxing. I will try it. My thanks to you and your dear mother. Mabel seemed mollified by this. Well, all right. I'll have a pot ready for you at nine o'clock, then. Thank you, Mabel, dear, Honor said sweetly. She smiled, hugged her pillow, and waited for Mabel to leave. Mabel looked curiously back and forth between them. Honor could guess why. Ordinarily, she'd be sitting up in bed by now, but both she and Natasha were still covered up to their necks in their blankets. Will you be wanting your breakfast now, my lady? Mabel asked carefully. Or would you prefer to... to sleep in a bit longer? Inwardly, Honor marveled at the suggestion. In all their years together, the only times Honor could remember Mabel inviting her to sleep in were when she was ill. Mabel was a firm believer in the virtues of being an early riser. That sounds lovely. Honor said, just as sweetly as before. Perhaps you could have the kitchen girls sent up in, let's say, an hour? You can just have them knock and leave it outside the door. We can set our own table. Mabel met her gaze in silence for a long moment, her soft green eyes unreadable. Then she curtsied deeply. Understood, lady. Thank you so much, Honor said. So, so sweetly. Mabel shot one more speculative look in Natasha's direction, then turned and hurried out. Honor held her breath until she heard the door click shut, and then promptly broke into a fit of nervous giggles. Beside her, Natasha began chuckling, 
a low rolling sound that sent fresh twinges of desire running through Honor's body. That, Honor started, then had to stop and start over again when another round of giggles burst out of her. <laughs> that was too close. She is going to find out what we are doing, said Natasha, who did not seem terribly worried at the prospect. Especially if you do not lock door. Wouldn't help, Honor said. She has the key. Well then. Natasha rolled over and climbed on top of her, straddling Honor's hips. She leaned into Honor's face, her hair falling in curtains around them. Maybe I should turn you around to face toward door again. Would not want her to see anything untoward, da? Honor wrapped her arms around Natasha's neck and dragged her in for a kiss. Then she murmured in her ear, One hour before we have to be up for breakfast. Do you have any other lovely new positions to show me? Natasha gripped Honor's hair in one fist, then traced a line of kisses up her jaw and nibbled on her earlobe. In one hour? I can show you several. And... So she did. In the days and weeks that followed, life fell into a steady rhythm for Honor and Natasha. Lord Bellevue would depart early most days, sometimes to attend a session of the Council of Peers, sometimes to meet with a friend or an ally, or someone who might be persuaded to become one or the other. Often cousins Tyrrell and Graham went with him, or left around the same time on errands of their own. On Sundays, Bellevue would stay home, and the kitchen staff would prepare a hearty breakfast that Honor, Natasha, and the cousins would all come down for. Cousin Tyrrell took barely any notice of Natasha, even when they were seated at the same table together. Lord Bellevue had introduced her as Honor's companion, rather than as a soldier. If Tyrrell remembered her from the dinner party, he gave no sign of it. Honor could hardly imagine how a six-foot blonde warrior woman could have escaped his notice— but she realized that the older nobility often dealt with things they found offensive by pretending not to see them. Tyrrell's generation had not permitted women to serve as soldiers, and Honor would not be surprised if he wanted to end the practice altogether. Cousin Tyrrell will not change what he is, her father had told her once. He is like a boulder in a stream. He cannot stop the water, but it cannot ignore his presence either and he will be worn down to dust and sand before he yields. Cousin Graham was another matter entirely. The first time he met Natasha, he could not take his eyes off her for the next half an hour. He tried repeatedly to engage her in conversation, both at the dinner table and elsewhere. Natasha ignored him when she could, answered him in monosyllables when she had to, and when all else failed pretended that she did not speak common well enough to understand his questions. Taking a page from the airship captain's memoir, she deliberately confused similar-sounding words with disparate meanings and interpreted idioms as if Graham had meant them literally. Honor had a hard time keeping herself from laughing at these episodes, and on one occasion she had to leave the table and go compose herself in the washroom. Graham, for his part just seemed to take these obstacles as a challenge to be overcome, and not a signal of Natasha's lack of interest. With the men of the house gone for most of the day, Honor and Natasha could largely relax and enjoy each other's company. 
They took frequent carriage rides around the city, visiting parks, gardens, the zoological park, and even Metamore Keep itself. They rented horses and went on day-long riding expeditions, into the foothills and around the Sea of Souls. As Honor had expected, no one bothered her with the imposing Natasha at her side. As she had promised her father, Honor also took the time to instruct Natasha in the manners and etiquette of polite society— they spent hours with Mabel, introducing Natasha to the intricate rules of the noble dress code, which dresses to wear when relaxing at home, or receiving guests, or going on a carriage ride, or visiting another's house, or attending a formal dinner. Natasha was overwhelmed by the number of potential costume changes that might be expected of her in a single day, and could not see the differences between, say, a wrapper and a house dress, or a walking dress and a carriage toilette. As her wardrobe grew, with more of Mabel's selections arriving every few days, Honor took to labeling the hangers with strips of paper stating the proper purpose for each garment. No wonder more ladies are not involved in politics, Natasha said sourly. You are too busy changing clothes. On days when Honor was scheduled to be at home, she and Natasha would read to each other in the atrium or the library, or listen to music on the phonograph, or go back to the kitchens to visit with the staff. Occasionally, Honor would have visitors. Someone she had met at the ball would send up their card, and Honor and Natasha would receive them in the parlor. These visits were customarily brief, lasting only a quarter of an hour or so. If they found a common interest, one party might invite the other to come back for tea at a later time. Honor suspected that most of them were merely observing a formality, checking her name off a list. She did very little of this sort of visiting herself, preferring to spend her time on adventures with Natasha, or seeing people she actually found interesting. Through all of this, Noble Alex presented an ongoing source of both pleasure and frustration. They sent letters to Honor nearly every day, and often included notes for Natasha as well. The topics of these missives ran the gamut, from court gossip to amusing personal stories, to favorite poems and other literary passages, to recipes, to long philosophical musings on life and society and the nature of reality. Alex's interests seemed both extremely broad and subject to change without notice. Honor appreciated their curiosity, open-mindedness, and taste for experiencing life firsthand, values that she herself shared, but sometimes their letters felt rather disjointed— making leaps and associations that she could only half follow. Honor answered with letters of her own, though between their other activities, she only managed to finish one every two or three days. They took turns visiting each other, meeting for tea or dinner roughly once a week. In every instance, Alex was warm, charming, deeply attentive, and gently flirtatious. Each time, Honor would feel the stirrings of arousal at their attention— whether she was wearing her mother's amulet or not. And each time, Alex would hold her hand and kiss her chastely and tell her how much they looked forward to their next meeting. They never tried to take things further, never seemed to imagine that a courtship could contain anything more than joined hands and a peck on the lips. You'll need to tell them what you want, Natasha insisted, after the third such frustrating encounter. They were sitting up in Honor's bed together, and Natasha patted the mattress between them. Tell them, Alex, there is very nice bed upstairs. 
Let me show you. Then you take them up here and take off clothes, duh? Honor tried very hard to push that image out of her head. I can't do that. Not with Alex. They'll think I'm a... a wanton. A degenerate. Natasha frowned. I do not know these words. Honor made a futile, grasping motion with both hands. A woman of loose morals. Natasha's expression, if possible, grew even more confused. Loose? Honor blew out a breath in exasperation. A woman who wants sex all the time and wants terrible, obscene things to be done to her and... and... She trailed off. Natasha was grinning at her, in the wolfish, hungry way she often did when they were alone at night. It made her sex twinge with need just looking at her. So they will know you better, Natasha said. Honor's face felt as if it would melt. She rolled over and put her back to Natasha. That isn't very nice, she muttered. Natasha said nothing for a long moment. Honor just lay there with her back to her, sulking, angry at her for saying such a thing, and ashamed because it was the truth. I am my mother's daughter. God's help me. Natasha nestled in behind Honor, wrapped an arm around her, and kissed the top of her head. Honor didn't respond, but she didn't push her away either. She could tell Natasha to go away, and she would, but then Honor would be alone, and that was worse. They lay in silence for a long time. I like who you are, little one, Natasha said eventually. Her voice was low, gentle, thoughtful. I like you very much, but you do not like yourself much, I think. Honor sighed. A lady isn't supposed to... to be like this, she said, feeling lost. We have sex every night, Natasha, and it's still not enough. I think about it all the time. She did not say what else she thought about, that she wanted Natasha to dominate her again, like she had on that first day together. She dreamed about it at night, and fantasized about it during the day, mistress tying her up, and flogging her, and using her, and telling her what a good girl she was. It's not normal, she continued, meaning both the sex and the other things she had left unspoken. It's not right, and if Alex knew what I really am, they'd... She broke off, because she didn't want to finish that thought, and because her voice was getting too thick with tears to say any more. Natasha nuzzled against her, kissed her cheek. Alex wants to make you happy. If you tell them what you want, what you need, either they will do it, or they will tell you they cannot. Either way, then you will know. Honor sniffed. And what if they... <laughs> never want to see me again. Then they are fool, and you have saved yourself much pain. Natasha traced light circles around Honor's navel with her fingertip. But I do not think this will happen. Alex is good person. Honor winced. A good person shouldn't want to be with me. 
Natasha did, but she came from a rustic, simple people with an unrefined culture, so Honor thought it wasn't really fair to hold her loose attitudes about sex against her. She wasn't a lady or a metamorian, so she could be excused for such things. Unlike me. Honor said nothing more on the matter that night, and when Natasha began to kiss her and remove her clothes, she responded as eagerly as always. But in the back of her mind, she could not stop thinking of her own mother and the forbidden love affair that had doomed her. No one can ever know. And that's the end of Chapter 5. Come back next time when Honor and Natasha meet Alex's mother for tea. Chapters of the House of Bellevue will be released over 51 weeks at a rate of one chapter per week. If you'd like to listen to it faster, all three books are available now on Amazon and Audible. To learn more about these characters and their world, please visit www.authorlcwilliams.com. Emil Ludwig said, The decision to kiss for the first time is the most crucial in any love story. It changes the relationship of two people much more strongly than even the final surrender, because this kiss already has within it that surrender. So let your guard down and make room in your hearts for the weekly writing report. This update covers the week of July 30th through August 5th. I wrote 2,023 words this week, over the course of 3.5 hours, for an average writing speed of 578 words per hour. I wrote on 3 out of 7 days this week. Looking back at the month of July, I wrote a total of 16,274 words in 19 days, averaging 857 words per day. That ranks 36th out of 87 months since I started this podcast. I spent 22.75 hours writing in July. Compared to June, my word count increased by 165%, and my writing time increased by 98%. This week I continued working on my world-building for the continent of Fen Shuar. I've now advanced the timeline up to about 1500 Christos Reckoning or 400 years before the time of the House of Bellevue. It is both interesting and sobering to work out the ramifications of colonization of a continent by a completely different set of cultures from the ones that colonized the Americas. How would their values be different from those of the European powers? How would their motivations or their treatment of the indigenous peoples be different? Which tragedies would repeat themselves with a different set of actors, and which ones might be avoided? It's a lot to consider, and it reinforces the importance of doing this kind of deep historical work before deciding what Shori culture looks like at the dawn of the 20th century. I'll continue to put up sections of this world-building document on Patreon as I complete them. They're visible to patrons at the $3 level and higher. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show... Send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. 
My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook. And our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2022 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.